Welcome to In Search of the Mind of God. We invite you to search with us the mind of God. When searching His Word, we can always be sure of our salvation will not be used on man's ideas or false feelings. It will never be our purpose to promote any denominational doctrine of any religious group. Man is fallible. God is not. This program is brought to you by the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ. We are located at 384 East Midway Road here in White City, Florida. This program contains previous recordings from Joe Wilson, who graduated from this life in 2018. We invite you to join us for worship. Personal Bible study is available, and we propose to know nothing among you, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. To be able to sit at the feet of Jesus Christ. And as Jesus was going back to God the Father, he did something for us that would not have been able to have been done by someone else in explaining it, but just copying what had been written. In the 14th chapter, let me give you kind of a run through. In the 14th chapter, Jesus had met with, in the 13th, with his disciples. In the 14th chapter, he had told them he was going away. At the end of the 14th chapter, he had invited the prince of demons that was coming into his power and strength at this time to leave in the body of Judas Iscariot. In the 15th chapter, in the first verse, Jesus had pled with his disciples and his apostles, I am the vine and ye are the branches. Now, one of these days I'm going to preach a series on this. I've been threatening to for the past three or four weeks, but uh, haven't gotten to it yet. I am the vine and ye are the branches. And Jesus is speaking to his apostles and they alone. In the 16th chapter, he told them that he would not leave this message with them as men of comprehension and understanding, but he would send the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit had come, he would lead the apostles and direct the apostles and them only into all the truth. Then at the conclusion of the 16th chapter of the book of John, Jesus announced the hour has come. Look at verse 32. Behold, the hour cometh. Yea, and now is come, that ye shall be scattered every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Then in Jesus' teaching as he had been walking with his disciples to the valley or to the garden of Gethsemane, he crosses over the Kidron River. And over this Kidron stream, meaning darkness or blackness of despair, he goes there to talk to the Father in heaven. Now there's a lot of people that talk about the Lord's Prayer And when they talk about the Lord's Prayer, they're talking about the disciples' prayer that he taught them to pray. 
Jesus' disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to, well, turn to the book of Luke. Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And Jesus said, after this manner, pray ye. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. And in Matthew, the sixth chapter, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I know when I was in school, of course, they can't do this anymore unless they come up with a prayer for the Muslims. Uh, But when I was in school, we used to cite what was called the Lord's Prayer every morning when class started. Can you imagine, folks, how long it's been since the school class has started the day with the Pledge of Allegiance in the Lord's Prayer, as they called it? What a change this world has taken. Don't tell me money and politics can't determine what way society goes. But anyway, the disciples' prayer is what Jesus taught the disciples, how to pray. The word for prayer that is used in that sense is a different word than what Jesus did and used and was described when he talked to God the Father. In the word proscunio, he would teach them to fall down before and in reverence talk to God as their Father. That was a privilege that had never taken place. In the Old Testament covenant, no one had ever been invited to pray to God the Father. For the eyes of the Lord was over the righteous, and they were not. And his ears were open unto their prayers, and he did not hear their prayer. For, as in 1 Peter 3, 12, for the Bible says, uh, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, his ear heavy that he cannot hear, but thy sins have separated between thee and thy God so that he will not hear your prayer. Sin had separated man from God the Father. No one had been able to enter into the presence of the throne room of God and pray. And in that sense, the word proscunio is used. But when Jesus did what people call pray, it was another word used altogether. When you talk about what Jesus did, it was one as an equal talking to an equal. It is one who was talking to a fellow, someone of his same rank and being, nature, power, and might. So when you see Jesus talking to or speaking to God the Father, you're not talking about somebody who falls down before and worships in homage because of or in behest of the one to whom he was praying. You're speaking of an individual who speaks as a friend to a friend, as a fellow to a fellow being, as an equal to one to whom he is equal as a being of the same nature and rank as he to whom he speaks. If you don't, first of all, understand who's speaking to whom, there's no way you can comprehend the discussion. Speaking to him who is his equal of the same rank and of the same place 
of a being of the same power and might and nature. It is though they are touching base, or he's discussing with God the Father, the last things that would be involved in the discussion concerning salvation before the sacrifice for salvation was offered. So when Jesus is there in John the 17th chapter and lifting up his eyes to heaven and he speaks to God the Father, he is stating a truth that actually was coming about that was known, approved, and was uh, given by God the Father and says the hour has come. He had said that in the 32nd verse of the 16th chapter, the hour has come. He says it again in John the 17th chapter in the first verse, the hour is come. Yet there's a lot of people don't understand what Jesus was speaking about when he was talking about hour or when he is talking about what has come. The hour, the definitive work that God the Father had sent God the Son into this world to do. Turn back with me to John the 12th chapter and let's tag up just a little bit and let's get on the subject as to what Jesus is speaking about. John 12 and verse 23. John 12, 23, Jesus saying unto his disciples and they that were there, the hour is come. What hour, Lord, that the Son of Man should be glorified? Now, when you talk about God being glorified, you talk about God serving. You see, God is a nature unlike man. And the way that God glorifies himself is to serve, not be served. The extreme opposite of what it would be if Christ was on the earth today is shown by the papal powers and those in denominationalism and of the pastors who have rank and power as to having men come before them, bow in obeisance and make prostitute their heart and life in his presence. When and if Christ was here literally on the earth, he would be as he is shown in John 13, washing the disciples' feet. For with God, to glorify himself would be to serve, would be to give, would be to offer. It is the way of their nature. It is what they are. And if you understand what is being spoken about, you understand that Jesus is now talking about the greatest opportunity to express service that God the Father had allowed him to participate in. The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. You see, Jesus said, if I'm going to die, then I can be buried. And when I am resurrected, I can allow the message of the gospel to be preached so that they who would hear it and obey it could be members of the body of Christ and that fruit or the purpose or the reason for which I came or the results of my death will then be known. 
the result, of course, of the death of Christ is to bring about the church of Christ, which was made from the foundations of the world. Verse 25, he that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. Now, Jesus is talking about they who would emulate his type or manner of service. And if any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. And if any man serve me, he will serve my father, and he will, he will honor my father. But then Jesus seems to have a, a reaction in thought that he expresses that helps us in a great deal. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But wait a minute, this hour is going to glorify me. Should I say, I don't want to be glorified? I don't want to die? I didn't come to give myself as a ransom for many? I didn't come to do thy will, O God? When he cometh into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings thou wouldst not. But a body thou hast required of me, and lo, as it is written in the volume of the book, I came to do thy will, O God. Hebrews 10, beginning with verse 5. I didn't come to do your will, God. I didn't come to offer myself as a sacrifice. I didn't come to uh, explain or define the nature of deity and that deity gives when they're glorified, suffers and sacrifices. I, Father, am troubled that humanity might misunderstand deity. My soul is troubled. And shall I be like humans and pray, Father, save me from this hour? It's a sad commentary when members of the body of Christ do not understand the discussion that God the Father and God the Son were participating in, of which we only hear in a great sense the verbiage of God the Son. Save me? That's ridiculous. Remove from me this glory is against or contradictory to my nature. To tell me that I'm a human or that I am of a human nature only and to allow me to escape this is something so contradictory to my way of thinking and to my intention and my nature. I am troubled that somebody would even think that. My soul is troubled. And what shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then there came a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. I affirm what you're saying is true. And I will affirm it again. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it, said and it said, and said that it thundered. Others said, an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, the voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. And now, the purpose of this hour is explained. Now, the reason for this hour coming is introduced. Now is judgment, and now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out, and I, 
if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to me. Jesus said, I've got to go and die. And the purpose of my death is that I will judge or bring condemnation or take from control Satan's power. Satan's power was sin. Jesus was made in a fashion as a man. And the Bible speaks in the book of Hebrews, if you'll flip over quickly, the second chapter and begin with verse 13 and 14. Speaking concerning Jesus as he was here on the earth, the apostle Paul, by inspiration of the scriptures, wrote, For as much then as he was made partaker of flesh and blood, he also likewise took part in the same, that he through death might destroy him that had power over death, that is the devil, who through fear of death he had caused man to remain in bondage, all of his life, or he was delivered them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The hour has come. I'm going to eliminate death. Now, somebody said, well, that's not true because people are still dying. Well, the death of which Jesus was speaking was the spiritual separation that man had with God. Sin separates us from God. And because we are sinners, we can't pray. Oh, I know the denominational world has taught that all you have to do to be saved is pray a little prayer to Jesus in your heart. But the Bible teaches that sin has separated us between God and ourselves. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Psalm 66, 18. 1 Peter 3, I just keep going on and on. We can, as individuals who have never met the blood of Christ, can not pray. I have every once in a while. Somebody tell me, well, Brother Joe, I'm praying for you. And I'll wait. And I'll say, are you a member of the Church of Christ? No. Well, please don't do that. And they'll look at me real funny. And they'll say, don't do what? I said, don't pray for me. You don't want me to pray for you? No, please don't do that. And if they ask me further as to why I instruct them not to do such, they think I'm a smart aleck, or as I learned today, I'm over the top. I'm sarcastic and mean-spirited. Do you know why I don't want these people to pray for me? Well, if they're not praying to God the Father, to whom do you think they are praying? Their Father. And if they're praying to their father, I may not want him to know much about me. Now look at John 8 and 44. And you'll see of which I am speaking a truth that men need to understand. I was at a place the other day at an old depot place. And, and this guy said I was sick and had sinus infection or something. He said, Brother Joe, I'll pray for you. I said, please don't. I don't want your daddy to know more about me than he does. He looked at me kind of funny, and he said, what are you talking about? Well, you ready? John 8, 44. Ye are of your father, the devil, who was a liar from the beginning and abode not in the truth. And the works of your father ye will do. Now, I haven't looked that up lately. I was just quoting it, but I think I got it right. Year of your father the devil and the lust of your fathers you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. 
When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Sin has a father. And that father was Satan. And Satan is the father of a sinner. And if Satan is the father of a sinner, then if they pray to their father concerning you, to whom are they praying? Oh, I don't like that kind of logic. Well, I don't either. That's the reason I got out of Satan's camp into the Lord's. You see, we can be translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of God's dear son, Colossians 1.15. So if I can get out and into, I ran with all speed to get that done. But Jesus was coming to the garden, and he was coming to the garden, and he said, Father, now the hour is come. The hour that I would die. Now, most of my brethren, unfortunately, if, that be, if they be my brethren, are teaching that Jesus came begging and pleading not to die. The opposite is true. It's atheism in the highest caliber for somebody to tell you that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, did not come here to die. He said, Father, I'm troubled that people would think that I didn't come to die. But the purpose and the reason of my coming was to die that my blood being shed might be offered as a means of appeasing your presence so that they who meet that blood can come in to your presence in prayer. Now is my soul troubled. Father, the hour has come. The purpose of Jesus coming to the world is now to be shown. He didn't come here to teach a few basic principles. He didn't come here to live and die perfectly for three years and say, you said it couldn't be done. You said nobody could do it. I did it. There was never a question that Jesus had to prove that he was God. God can't sin, neither can he be tempted to sin, James the apostle wrote. And it was something that Jesus didn't have to prove anyway. He was God before anybody ever knew what he was. And therefore, they don't have to question the fact that he could live a sinless life. But Jesus came to die for you and I. You see, that's the nature of God showing in Christ. He was showing to man what love could do. And since man had never been able to fellowship with God the Father since he had committed sin, and under any covenant, now you want to talk about, patriarchal or mosaical, he could never fellowship God. This fellowship with God had ended when he became accountable for sin. And before he was accountable to sin, he was always in the presence of God as innocent children. Jesus had taught these children have their spirit or their angel always in the presence of God in John and Luke 18 and 10 because they've never committed sin. Since they've never sinned, they're always in the presence. They have an angel, their representative, they themselves, the soul and spirit that abides within them are always in the presence of God. But when man commits sin... 
That separates him from God. And there was no way to repair that. So that they, under the Old Testament covenant, who had sinned, could not in death go to be where God is. They had gone to the charnel house of the damned, to the Hadean world, to the kingdom of darkness, to the place where Satan ruled and reigned. And when Jesus came to this world, he had determined that he was going to enter the strong man's house, spoil his goods, and take them away from them. And when he went to the Hadean world, he took from him they that belonged to God, having no way to have sins forgiven. His blood, then having been shed, had washed their sins away because the first place that the blood of Christ effectively worked was to roll back to the sins of the Old Testament covenant. And as they rolled back, these people were then sinless and they didn't belong in the Hadean world because that sin had been eradicated. And he took them from the Hadean world and placed them in the paradise of God in the third heaven where they who had never sinned, children, those who had never been born, uh, those who had never had the intelligence to comprehend and understand, or those who could never be able to uh, understand or complement themselves by obedience to the law of God, had always been. So Paul would write, For this cause I bow my knees to the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family of heaven and earth is named. They that were in heaven were sinless, already there in the paradise of God. And now those who had been under the Old Testament covenant who had sinned could be forgiven. So they, Jesus, took with him. Before he told man what to do to be saved, he took them and took them to the paradise of God in the third heaven so that all that belonged to God was now in one place at one time. So Paul would write in Ephesians 1 and 10, in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he might gather together both that are on the earth and in heaven and all be in one place. And then you mean to tell me with all that at stake, that is the forgiveness of our sin, that is the forgiveness of all the sins that had ever been committed by they who were children of God that had no sacrifice could, that could be offered to ever allow them to be forgiven. Now that he could make it possible that all those souls could be saved and redeemed, plus all of our souls of many generations maybe yet to come, he would get to the Garden of Gethsemane and turn his nose up and say, Not me, God. Ain't my gig. Let this cup pass from me. And that's what people teach concerning the discussion between Christ and God the Father. It's completely contradictory to logic. It's completely alien to his nature and the nature of God the Father. That's the reason God the Father complimented him and said, I have glorified thee and will glorify thee again. Oh, I'm going to allow you to die and your blood be offered as a sacrifice to the sins of the world. And I'm going to allow you to take the position of the high priest where your blood can again serve 
as a means of being that which will allow they who are a part of your kingdom to be constantly forgiven of sin as they walk in the light. Father, the hour has come. We've been waiting on this for about 6,000 years now. Time's here. Everything's ready. In the dispensation of the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, born in the law, born of the law, that he through his son might redeem those who would be obedient to him. Of all the things that God the Father had ever planned and God the Son had ever administrated and God the Holy Spirit had ever communicated, this was the time of all times. This was the moment that eternity spake to we who didn't exist in that realm. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit had determined before creation had ever begun that he would choose for himself by predestination, foreordination, and obedience they who would become obedient and would reel in the love of God for eternity where God would be in ceaseless ages. The hour has come. That the, that the Son may glorify thee as thou hast glorified him, and as thou hast given him power over all flesh, you can see that, folks, who worked miracles, he did everything he wanted to do, as he has been given this power as an evidence of proof that he is God, you've also given him eternal life to as many. Now, we've talked about this many in the Sunday school class this morning. These are the many that he ransomed. In, Acts, in Matthew 20 and 28, he gave himself as a ransom for the many. These are also the many that were obedient so that the price of ransom was applied to their souls. And the way that the price of ransom was applied to the souls of many was by obedience. Paul writes in Galatians 3, 26 and 7, we're all the children of God by faith. For as many, there's our many again, for as many of us as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female. We're all one in Christ for Christ or Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. But these many have been ransomed. These many have been obedient. These many have been covered in the blood of Christ. And Father, you've given eternal life to these many that thou hast given me. And this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Now this word know doesn't mean to be introduced. It means to come into the family of. It means to be made a resident of that kingdom. These many who are of eternal life or who have been predestinated by obedience have been foreordained because of the heart that would cause them to be obedient to thee. These many are they who, when they hear the gospel of Christ, will do just exactly what it is said for them to do. On the day of Pentecost, of evidence, as evidence of this, Peter standing up with the eleven 
talked to these Jews that were present that day, and some cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter answered and said unto them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And as many as gladly received the word were baptized. Why? Because these are the people that have the heart of obedience. As many, Father, as thou hast given me have eternal life as an offering. Because as the present now stands, in verse 4, I have glorified thee. I have finished the work which thou hast given me to do. I am presenting myself as the sacrifice. I am here offering myself for the sins of mankind. When God speaks of things that are not, they are as though they are. For of what he's... Let me just show you that. Turn with me to the book of Romans. And you will see that the apostle Paul writes in Romans, the fourth chapter, he speaks of things that are not as though they are. Look at verse 17. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before whom ye have believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they are. When Jesus said, I've finished the work, it's as though it was done. Because there's no backup gear. No reverse. No hesitancy. Jesus came to die on Calvary's tree. I've finished the work that thou hast given me. And now, O oh Father, glorify thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. That is not Jesus praying, God, let me back in as number two man. For again, deity has no condensation in rank or value. That's humanity. It's humanity that tries to let on like that somebody is greater. That's the reason they fall at the feet of religious leaders and kiss their ring or their toe. That's the reason they call them Holy Father. That's the re They are not acting like God. And we as children of God are to be followers of the attitude to be like God. So when Paul would write, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be called equal with God, and took upon himself of no reputation, and being found in the fashion of man, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus was doing exactly what deity, not humanity, would do. Father, glorify thou me with thine own self. There was a period of time, as I have it on the marquee, before Jesus was the Son, that he was God, as is always they who have that nature. But he became what he was not in eternity so that he could enter us in time to save us so that we, when eternity again begins, can be with they who were from eternity. 
And with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, there's no God number one, God number two, God number three. And God number three looks up to God number one and says, Can I, may I, huh? Will you please? See, that's humanity. Jesus said, The Gentiles lorded over you. They say to their servants, Go and you go, come as you come. They give you commands and you must obey. They are guides over you. They're superior to you. That's the reason this concept that the Church of Christ has tried to teach in the world today that their lords over God's heritage is improper. Old boy asked me the other day, said, you pastor of the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ? I said, I'm a member. Well, who's the man there that's in charge? I said, Jesus Christ. Well, he said, I wanted to meet him. I said, I think you've got a little problem. I can teach you how to do that, but right now I think you've got a little problem. He says, you mean I can meet Christ? I said, sure, I can tell you where you can join with him in a work that will save your soul, and he'll be right there to do the job. Well, where's that? Oh, I said, when you're baptized into Christ. It says, know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Christ, were baptized into his death. There we were buried with him. Don't you catch on? Somebody says, Lot always wants to do something with the Lord. Well, you can do that. When you repent and you're baptized for the remission of sins, you do something with... You think, turn to Romans 6. You think I'm quoting you something that's not right? I don't want you to take my word for it. My word's no better than yours. I'm not the pastor of nothing. I'm just a member. I just told this old boy, I said, we all be brethren here. There ain't no big eyes and little U's. If you think I'm the big man, guess who mows the grass? Guess who does all the work, most of the stuff around here? Guess who does it? I don't call on, well, I want you deacons. Whatever you are is something I tell you to do. I want you deacons to come over. I just go ahead and do it. If you want to come along and help, I give you a wheelbarrow and a shovel. If you don't show up, I still have the wheelbarrow and shovel. Look at Romans 6 and 3. Know ye not that as many, so many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him. They say, well, that's as he was buried. Well, now you can say that's physical if you want to. I think that has to soothe with something spiritual. I don't think many of you were buried or will be buried in a barred tomb. If you got one hanging around, let me know. It ain't in Florida. I can tell you if you got a buried tomb, I mean a, a tomb in Florida, and you don't have that liner and everything in it, you won't be down there long. You'll be wet. So you're going to get wet one place or the other. <laughs> If you buried in Florida, you're going to run into water because it's going to flood sooner or later unless you've got that liner in the grave. I hadn't thought of that. That's pretty nice. But anyway, you're buried with him. So you can do that with the Lord. And when you meet Jesus Christ in the watery grave of baptism, oh, he's not going to reach over and punch you and say, I'm here. No. He's not there in a physical sense. You're not doing something for a physical response. You're doing something in a spiritual sense for a spiritual response. And guess who's there with you? Condoning, approving, endorsing, and being involved with. He says, you're buried with him. Well, Jesus came, and he came to die. And as he came to die, mankind was shown the best friend that could ever be. 
Greater love, Jesus saith, hath no man than this. Then he laid down his life for his friends. And you're my friends if you do whatsoever I've commanded you. We just got started. John's the 17th chapter is one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. It is something that most people have never comprehended and understood because they've been taught so wrongly that Jesus got in the garden of Gethsemane and said, Oh, no, God, not me. Oh, Lord, let me die. Man, what do you mean? The only way Jesus could get home was to die. You think he would get to the very precipice of being able to enter back into the glory of God the Father? I want to stay here in this stinking place. Folks, they didn't even have a public shower in those days. And they never heard of pizza. I mean, how can you live without pizza? <laughs> if you don't believe that, watch these kids. We say, hey, where do you want to go to eat? One of them say, pizza. Well, when I was a little boy, I'd never heard of pizza. But, buddy, I'll tell you, I've been introduced to many of them pies now. But the very fact that people don't understand what Jesus was doing, what he was saying, what he was expressing, has caused the devil to sit in hell and laugh with glee for centuries. And them thinking that Jesus wasn't God, because that's what you're confessing if you don't believe that Jesus came to die in the flesh. If you're here and need to respond to the invitation of the gospel, Jesus' command is to he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. You want to do something with the Lord today? Now's the favorite time. Now's the accepted hour. We have water available. Clothing is ready. And someone can baptize you into Christ. With Christ being there. Because he has to be. He takes his blood and washes the sin loose from your soul. You are circumcised spiritually. Because the soul has the sin cut loose from it. As you're buried with him. Yeah, I'm saving that verse. I can just see George over here just chomping at the bits. And <laughs> you've been circumcised with a circumcision not made with hands through the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh. Buried with him by baptism into death when you're raised through the faith of the operation of God. And ye who were dead to sin, hath he risen? to be in fellowship with him. If you enjoyed today's sermon, read our regularly updated blog for insightful articles by visiting us online at pslchurchofchrist.com. If you would like to watch previous sermons, they can be viewed on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash pslchurchofchrist. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pslchurchofchrist. Or if you prefer to visit us in person, to learn more on Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m., as well as Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m., and you can visit us at 384 East Midway Road next to Walgreens. See you next week. As we continue to grow the church and carry the legacy of Joe David Wilson, in this next segment you will hear sermons from the current preachers here at the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ. Yeah, tonight we're going to look at uh, continuing the issue that has bothered and has affected every American citizen uh, within the sound of this voice or within the sound of our touch, our families, our friends, and our workmates. Patriots always ask themselves, what has happened to my country? A nation that has freed, that freed Europe 
and saved from Nazism and fascism. A nation that returned Asia to an area of self-government. A nation that had the finest educational system in the world and all people wanted to come here and become American citizens. The land of milk and honey with the bounty of food that was the envy of the world. The world will eat our blessings but constantly work to undo our constitutional republic. A phrase liberals and haters of Christ do not have in their vocabulary. You see the enemies of this country are haters of Christ and seek to destroy our Christian laws and our system of government. They have been successful in some regards, convincing some of the evil of this country. This uh, represents never giving past generations the credit for good they've done. Only evils of the past are ever discussed by them. But I say to those destroyers, this is the only country in the world and the history of mankind where we're given the avenue of redress. In the structure of our Constitution and the Bill of Rights, we're allowed to petition our government for justice. Whether in our courts or the right of assembly and protest or redress at the ballot box. Free and open access to our leaders. No other government structure gives its people the freedom of change. Even England, with its semi-socialist form, can only be changed by a vote of no confidence. But our national problems go far beyond the surface of our current confusion. The very soul and being of our people has been altered to a non-preparatory social attitude. For the next generation, every generation prior to World War II worked for the better, a better life for the next generation. So what happened? The morals of the people have been corrupted, and no longer do we rely on our God uh, for our well-being and safety. We now rely on government to supply all of our needs. The soul of man has been altered by Satan to convince us that we don't need God, so the problems of this nation are spiritual, not physical. 1 John 2.18, the Apostle John instructs his followers of the Antichrist already in the midst of the first century church. So Satan, from the very beginning of the church, has started the process of trying to destroy Christianity. 1 John 2.18 says this, Little children, it is the last time, and as we have heard that the Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. The first century had not passed yet, and the great Satan and his imps were hard at work. You see, we today think the evils of the world are just the norm. Satan does not give any credit for the upheavals of this life. Communism is just a happenstance. Child molesting, rape, and all the evils of this society is just a part of life. No, my friends, it is his duty to turn us from our God. He has convinced us that people are not really bad. They just had a bad childhood. Well, my friend, that explains the serial killer. But it does not explain why all abused children do not turn out to be serial killers or child molesters or cop killers or drug dealers. No, my brothers and sisters, Satan does not get one consideration for man's problems. So the situational ethics of our courts fails to complete the evil story. Last time we talked about Amos 8.11. And it says, 
that God will send a phantom upon the land. Worded this way in the Holy Writ, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land. Listen, my friends, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of the hearing of the words of the Lord. The eyes of Amos were opened and understood and looked forward to and, and proceeded with this proclamation. Yes, at the time he was warning Israel. But if you read this carefully, it talks about days that are to come. That there would be a people and an area and a government and a system that would not that would withstand, could not withstand the famine that was sent. This famine of God's words is something that we need to, ought to, uh, pay attention to and heed. Uh, do we believe that the sins of the past, can we can get by with them? Do we believe the very moral nature of these people, of this people, cannot be affected, cannot be changed, it cannot be altered? My dear friends, that's what's wrong with America today. We are so convinced that we're invincible, that we have God on our side, that we have a religious moral uh, position and standing at the throne, before the throne, that illustrates to our God that we are clean. We see, God only chastises those who He loves. And in no way could we ever accept or understand the fact that we are sinless. Yes, we that are baptized are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. The Holy Writ, the New Testament teaches and promises that. But are, are all those who claim to be Christians of that same standing? It is their duty and obligation to fulfill the responsibilities and the commandments of Christ. Some do, partially, and some do not. But in order to stand with our God and be recognized and be blessed by Him, that's really what we're after. The blessings of heaven. That we might have the opportunity to understand that this famine that was to be sent upon the land, although actually talking about the Israelites, Israelites, it also is a prophecy or a prediction of things to come and that of the future. Was there not a famine placed in the land? Was not the law of Moses done away with? Was not the old system, the temple destroyed, the wealth lost, scattered as a people? And there would be some today that would say, well, you know, God's going to restore all that. Not after the Old Testament does it say anything about the restoration of Israel. It does to an extent where it talks about spiritual restoration, not physical restoration. Uh, all of the uh, prophets and doomsdayers and sayers of today want you to believe that Christ is going to come back and set up his kingdom upon the earth. His kingdom's already here. It's called the church. His children, his soldiers, his blessing. When he died on the cross, he took care of everything except the defeat of death. That will occur when we're raised out of the grave, meet him in the air, and meet him in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Not coming back here to start a new uh, church or a new world or a new organization. Uh, many today in the religious world do not understand 
that the old Jerusalem is not the new Jerusalem. The old people of the Old Testament are not the people of the New Testament. They're a new creature. They've been reborn. They've been renewed. They've been given a second chance. They've been given the opportunity to look at and achieve and grasp the uh, idea of eternal life spiritually. Now, as we have seen what, uh, what Moses has said, we, we need to turn to 2 Corinthians 11, 13, and 14. You see, Paul continues with the Corinthians, explaining to them that there are two kinds of people in this world. There are those that proclaim to be children of God and those that are, are children of God. 2 Corinthians 11, 13, 14 says this, Warning those around him and in Corinth and the church, For such are false apostles and deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. If you said that today, to those people who proclaim to be the bride, the church, Christians, believers, followers, whatever name you want to put on them, if you said to them that there are evil men in the pulpits, not teaching the word of God, but teaching the philosophies or the traditions of men. It's been that way forever. That there are men that will come along and proclaim themselves to be men of God, will mislead and misdirect and misguide many. But it's no wonder that even Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. How miraculous could that be? An angel of light being one that proclaims to be or shows or illustrates or announces to the people that he is a righteous person, uh, that he is a Christian, that he's a minister of God, that he's a prophet, that he's been given all these attributes that cause us to look at men in an elevated position or situation. Today we must understand that there are many deceivers in the world of the bride today. Many do not want to realize and understand that the, that the kingdom comes in without recognition. It's here. Christ taught the apostles to pray, Thy will be done upon earth as it is in heaven. To deny that is to say that God's power, His ability, or His influence upon men doesn't exist. And it's hard to believe, but this is what's wrong with America. And I know it's hard to believe. It was done deliberately by the influence of the great adversary, the great enemy of God's people. The soul of this nation and its people have been traded for a bowl of red pottage. And like Esau, we have sold our birthright for a mess of red soup that has no meat in it. The fault falls on the denominational churches of near religions. They too practice doctrines not found in the Word of God, Manuals and handbooks, and some with their own Bibles, have made the the Word of God of non-effect, making merchandise of you.